How's it going, Publius? It's going, Mod. How are you? I don't really have my voice. Otherwise, uh, nothing to complain about. You said you don't have your voice? Yeah, I apologize for that. I think we we can hear you well. But uh, hope for a speedy recovery, nevertheless. All right. Well, as long as I'm loud and clear and understandable, then we're ready to go. And Pusson says they miss the robot voice or the voice modulator. All right, to those with us, um, feel free to drop your questions at the town hall chat or even better, join us uh, on stage. I'm going to give it some time, see you know, if folks want to gather some thoughts or questions, um, and you know, we can discuss them or answer them. And we'll start with, with Harry Smith, where they ask when Wells, if there are any updates on Wells, uh, Publius. So no real update on the well timing, but do feel like uh, from an infrastructure perspective, things are getting much closer to wells or wells are getting closer to being ready for audit. So a lot of what's happening across Beanstalk Farms and what Publis is working on uh, for really December uh, and Halborn is also working on is dramatically improving the documentation uh, in the contracts and around Beanstalk such that when things that are as complex as wells are implemented uh, and audited and published, hopefully the standards of documentation that have been put in place over the next month, let's call it, will be sufficient such that everyone involved in the process uh, understands exactly what the code is supposed to do and not do. And hopefully that will create a safe environment for the deployment of wells and pumps and aqueducts, which are going to be collectively very complex code. So uh, at a high level, I feel like a lot of the groundwork for relatively timely and uh, God willing safe deployment of wells uh, a lot of that work is currently being done, and so uh, hopefully in the in the beginning of Q1, Wells will be ready for audit and be ready for audit in a, a according to the the new and updated uh, documentation standards, such that uh, everyone that reviews the code from the time that it's done until the time that it's pushed on chain or proposed as a BIP uh, is able to get uh, a really clear sense of exactly what all of it is supposed to do. And again, given the complexity of wells, pumps, and aqueducts, we feel like this is very important and should actually allow for things to start to run a lot more quickly come the new year. Okay. And as a reminder, uh, when it comes to updates, there is a BIP, BIP 30, that's currently live. Um, and this BIP is to introduce the generalized pipeline and a few other um, updates to, to Beanstalk, including um, updating the Sunrise uh, reward. And Harry, see you with the little crying emoji in the in the chat. And so we'll just say that one thing that is actively being considered and trying to be scoped out is what it would look like to have a Bean ETH well pump and an aqueduct ready to go uh, for audit in the very beginning of the new year, and then uh, push back slightly the timeline for fully generalized wells, pumps, and aqueducts, but 
feel like given the the market circumstance that may be something worth expediting slightly but uh not not exactly sure how much at the margin that will make a difference and so we'll evaluate that kind of in, and continue to optimize in real time but we're we're highly focused on getting a beneath pool live as well in the next uh couple of months let's call it in a safe fashion but and this is i mean this is just an opinion don't really feel like at the margin you know eth is going to bottom out in the next four four to six weeks let's call it uh or, or if it does it's like the marginal couple weeks it's hard to imagine really costing beanstalk so with that said uh not that speculating on eth is really what we like to be doing during class the the reason for the comment is that uh, we really do view doing everything in a secure or as secure fashion as possible as paramount and uh hopefully very soon whether it's january february uh very very soon all of the the code for the beneath wells will be ready for audit and then separately it is worth noting that there is uh hopefully going to be a uh a slightly more thorough pre-publishing audit process both from halborn including the immunify bounty program before bips are published uh etc cetera, etc cetera, such that even if the code is ready early in q1 it may not be until towards the middle of the quarter that things can actually be uh pushed on chain so we're still talking a couple of months for better or worse and therefore still working on this end as fast as possible uh to get that stuff ready but understand uh understand where the where the rush is coming from thank you Publius. okay Publius, i have a question um of my own uh and that uh, maybe we're revisiting uh, a previous idea uh, about you know um the different seeds for different assets uh, in beanstalk uh, and right now we're talking about lb tokens and and beans and Maybe I can start this with uh, discussing the state of uh, Beanstalk or the state that Beanstalk is at uh, right now. So the price of bean is uh, 97 cents or around around that. Um, the field or the temperature of the field is increasing in order uh, you know, to sell, uh, sell soil or attract uh, uh, um, demand for soil. Uh, and then one thing notably that's uh, maybe uh, not happening or um, uh, participants elect not to do it is convert. Um, so um, we, you know, the converters or the depositors in the silo can uh, regain peg, but they choose not to. Uh, and maybe one of the things uh, that's uh, leading to that is the friction uh, of, uh, you know, having four seeds and going to two seeds. So we go back again to that discussion, and, and I wanted your thoughts uh, on this. Is is this friction really um, a bug, or is it a feature? Is this not? Can this not be looked at as a good thing? That um, the protocol is incentive is uh, drawn in such a way that depositors prefer to hold their liquidity rather, or they give some value to holding it rather than always regaining peg. It's definitely somewhere in between, and words like bugs and features may may not do justice to the nuance here, which is what let let's take the the perfect case. What would Beanstalk want in a perfect world? In theory, Beanstalk would would have some optimal deviation from the peg, both in terms of magnitude of the price deviation and 
in theory, you could also think of time as the other axis. So the the price movement from peg and the time that the deviations take. And you can think of uh, the magnitude of the price deviations, the the order of magnitude of the time deviations. These are these are perhaps the the primary things that Beanstalk would want to optimize around. And changing the temperature and changing the seeds per BDV in a in a perfect world are probably functions of that data, right? So it's the not currently Beanstalk uses the, the current price or the current delta B, uh, the current debt level and the change in demand for soil. But in theory, at the price level and the debt level, you could introduce not just magnitude, but also time into the, into the, the calculus. And at that point, the question, the, the, the nuance becomes more apparent which is that what is being optimized around or should be optimized around perhaps isn't just a price deviation, but also the magnitude of the price deviations, the time of the price deviations, and uh, similarly the magnitude of the debt level deviations at the time of them. And once you get into those questions, to be frank, feel like the modeling uh, necessary to figure out what are the appropriate changes for beanstalk to make to the seeds for BDV and the temperature, uh, it becomes very complex very very quickly, and therefore it's it's probably not going to all be implemented day one uh, when the gauge system is implemented. Somewhat obviously, but the point is that if we think about that as the ideal, then. Then the question becomes, well, what, assuming that the seeds per BDV and the stock per BDV can be flexible, what should they be functions of? And perhaps they start to work like the temperature works, where there's basic limits to it, uh, and they change somewhat basically or stupidly up and down based on some input data like the price and the debt level. Uh, raw data, but perhaps uh, the magnitude of the changes can become uh, the they can be much more sophisticated depending on the the deviations from from the optimal equilibrium, which again is the price at peg and the debt level at its optimal level. So uh, it's a very interesting question. To be frank, the the upgrades for the silo that will facilitate uh, changing seeds for BDV, that's that's still, you know, hopefully going to be ready in Q1. And at that point in time, then the hopefully that will be implemented in a sufficiently generalized way where then upgrading the, the equations that are calculating the seeds for BDV uh, that is a, a much simpler dev change and more of a complex economics question, if that makes sense. So that economics question remains totally unanswered from from our perspective as to what the right way to make those changes are in response to that data. And uh, it's definitely an interesting thing to think about and worthy of more study. 
I think it's very interesting, um, the idea of having seeds, um, you know, float or change according to some some curve. Publius, maybe two questions here. One is, how do you see the DAO um, or, you know, I guess the DAO coming into agreement on, on what, you know, what that pricing would be? And then maybe the second question is, do you foresee multiple pools with different maybe seeds, seeds functions? So you'll have, uh, you know, a B in three curve, uh, multiple B in three curve pools that follow different, you know, seed uh, uh, formulas, let's say, all approved by the DAO. So I think it's, let's answer the second question first, which is in the context of wells, the providing liquidity in wells is most closely effectively like an NFT because each of the wells will be pretty customizable. And so in practice, the seeds per BDV will not be a function of the LP tokens themselves, but likely be a function of the the base assets that are in the the like effectively the BDV of the assets and what what that what that looks like in the wells if you load up USDC or 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 some combination of non-bean assets is effectively the price at which you're willing to buy the beans at. And the point is that everything gets normalized to BDV. And at that point, the only question is, what is the seed per BDV? And that function can be somewhat arbitrary logic, but don't think that in reality, it'll make sense to have multiple multiple seed per BDV functions for the same token, because in practice, the tokens that are going to be valued and have BDV functions are are going to be like the base assets that trade against uh, beans and, and in practice the liquidity. Uh, I mean, maybe it's the same thing, right? If every... It, frankly, it's unclear exactly how that will work, uh, but probably probably not. But again, it may, it may in practice be the same thing, depending on what's architected. And, and don't think we've gotten that far uh in, in the dev process that to, to give you an answer although maybe if publius is here and they have an answer feel free to hop up but don't think they are um and then you want to remind me of your first question mod it was around how the dow can go about setting those uh those yes. values yeah that's a very interesting question uh i think it depends on what type of function is being used so currently the seeds per bdv are just fixed values, so two seeds per BDV, four seeds per BDV, but if the concept is that they should be fluctuating uh, based on some set of factors, there's also a question of what should the ranges be. So some LP tokens may be range-bound relative to other LP tokens and then have the, the LP tokens float according to some algorithm or it could be that the DAO is constantly re-voting in real time by allocating stock somewhere to two seeds per BDV, like to some seeds per BDV vote. And maybe both things are in place where the the relative rates of seeds per BDV, the rankings of tokens, that may be voted on somehow by the DAO. And as we've spoken about, 
from a risk management perspective, it may make the most sense to have the Dow set some sort of target exposures. So each token that that exists in these LP tokens, uh, USDC, USDT, DAI, USD, whatever, are trading against beans, the Dow can set certain uh, risk thresholds or desired target allocations to different currencies. And the question then becomes, I guess, assuming it's implemented in that way, how does the Dow vote on those target allocations? And how does the Dow vote on the the method of oscillation to target those oscillations? And in the in the former case, feel like it's probably going to be something like a continuous vote uh, where people can constantly update their, or maybe it should be, I should say, instead of will be, but it probably should be some sort of continuous vote whereby all stockholders can can any time they want re-update their optimal silo allocation. I mean, there's some cumulative average across all stockholders' votes in real time, and that's what the system is targeting. And in terms of the the method of oscillation of the seeds for BDB to target those silo allocations, uh, that will probably have to be set uh, at, a, at a time and then updated via BIP as opposed to something that's continuously being voted on by the DAO in the same way that currently the the temperature oscillation has a way that it works and has to be updated by a BIP and isn't in real time changing. Although there is, there's always ways to improve the system and maybe that's the way the oscillation mechanism also moves where people can change the target magnitudes and times and yada yada. All of that can in theory also be a continuous vote, but would have to give more thought about what's the optimal way to to set that up from an incentive perspective. Sounds like a truly revamped silo, new and improved. Yeah, so not sure how long it'll take to get all of this stuff up and running, but hopefully, hopefully Q, you know, I mean, <laughs> I was going to give a quarter, but hopefully that's like the the main mission for 2023 collectively is we can figure out how this thing works in a perpetual generalized fashion. And then I think maybe along those lines, one really interesting governance question that's related to this is uh, around forks, where if the DAO disagrees on risk allocation or protocol rules or tokens to whitelist, in what cases should there be a, a, a fork? In what cases should there not be a fork? Uh, how would a fork actually work? Uh, these are very interesting questions, but uh, probably something that's also worth considering as the the on-chain governance is re-implemented. So perhaps the the generalized silo, new version of the silo, that's relatively separate questions from the on-chain governance re-implementation. Uh, but in some ways, it's it's obviously related. Yeah. Okay, Terboy asks, uh, Publius, if you can summarize maybe in layman terms, what are the updates that are in BIP30? So not sure if you're familiar with Pipeline 
which is something that was published uh, on chain a couple of weeks ago uh, as part of the the root paradox product launch. But paradox and D, uh, excuse me, not paradox pipeline and depot are standalone contracts where pipeline facilitates or allows for an arbitrary series of function calls in the EVM and depot supports wrapping calls to pipeline to load pipeline, call pipeline, and then unload pipeline. And so in, in practice, depot and pipeline work together to create the ability to perform arbitrary valid actions in the EVM in a single transaction. And that has the potential to improve the user experience in in the EVM. Whereas currently you got to do a bunch of different transactions in theory from 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 the functionality facilitated from pipeline and depot, uh, you can now do almost anything in a single transaction. Now, Biv30, in short, wraps uh, the new pipeline uh, in a new depot facet, which is a basically a mirror to the standalone depot contract, which wraps pipeline. So pipeline exists, and what Biv30 is in short, uh, is a an implementation of the, a new depot facet that wraps pipeline. Now, there's another substantive change unrelated to pipeline, which is changing the sunrise base reward from 100 beans to 25 beans. And the reason for that is that until the sunrise reward uh, or the sunrise improvement, which is currently under audit, is ready for proposal which will probably not be for at least another month, uh, the decrease of the base reward is likely to save Beanstalk something like 60,000 beans over the next month. And in short, it's not expected to have a, a significant effect on the way the, the time in which the sunrise function is called. And again, that's one of the reasons why a new sunrise function is being implemented because the current one is so inefficient, but it is a sort of a short-term fix to save beans at the margin, something like 60,000 beans. So uh, those are the two main changes proposed in BIP30 and not sure exactly when it, it, it expires, but I think it's in the next couple of days. Yeah, that's on December 8th. And we're around 55% from quorum. Okay, I'll give it a minute. Uh, see if folks uh, have questions or if they would like to. 55% from quorum, meaning that we're not even halfway to quorum? Um, I think we are more than halfway. So we Got have 20 it. million votes. Yeah. All right. It's, uh, yeah, participation during the bear market has not been great. And to some extent, this is the the point around the forking, which is how to handle non-votes, how to handle votes. Maybe the introduction of forts requires the introduction of no votes in addition to four votes, uh, whereas currently you can only vote four. Uh, so lots of interesting questions there. And perhaps while participation should be mandatory, uh, there's certainly a question as to 
people that disagree with changes and people that agree with changes, there has to be a way for both parties to continue either together or separately without uh, necessarily the complete destruction of the credit history of the protocol, right? So it's it seems like as it gets harder for changes to be implemented and the ossification of Beanstalk at the base layer is probably a good thing, uh, there is a question as to making it easy for small factions or even large factions to spin out into their own subset and then maybe over time rejoin back into the main or, or, or an older version of Beanstalk. So it's a very interesting, just open-ended question as to how that should work. Yeah, and I think we, I mean, governance in general or um, having showing a high turnout for voting is, is a challenge. We've discussed it, and, you know, it, this is apparent also elsewhere and anywhere. It's difficult to encourage or have you know, voters vote, even if it costs nothing. Okay, Publius, I have a bit, it's not really a question, it's maybe more of a thought experiment. Um, and I, I, I may be uh, confusing here a bit, so be, bear with me. All right. Um, I'm thinking here of maybe a new tool or, or a way that, that Beanstalk can use to, let's say, control the money supply or, or the, or the supply, uh, supply of beans. Uh, and uh, a lot of this is, let's say, inspired by a tool that the Fed uses. So maybe I'll start with what the Fed does, and then how can we mimic or have something similar uh, uh, to that uh, uh, on, you know, on chain or on Beanstalk. And again, I don't think this is a real idea. It's more of, you know, a thought exercise, and and let's see where where this takes us. So. One way or one tool that the Fed uses uh, to control the money supply is is interest on reserves or paying interest on reserves. And the way the way that the Fed does it is, um, the Fed would tell you know um, institutions or banks or whatever uh, that can deposit with the Fed is you know if you if you deposit with us, we will pay you interest uh, on that reserves that you keep with us. Uh, and that way, that will discourage you know uh, uh, the money to be in circulation, and it will be kept with with the with the with the Fed. So hence, you know, interest on on reserves. Uh, the question then uh, comes: Is where does the Fed get this money to pay interest, right? Um, and the way uh, the the way the the Fed is able to pay that interest is that the the Fed holds securities, uh, which is issued you know by uh, by the Treasury or by the government. And the interest that the Fed receives uh, from those uh, securities that they're holding is the interest that the Fed uses uh, then to pay, you know, the, the, that interest uh, on reserves. So far, so far, so good. Let's see, maybe have how how can we have something similar uh, to that to that in Beanstalk? And and here is here is my thinking. So let's maybe say just for completion, do, yeah. do, does the Fed use the reserves to purchase treasuries? that then they return the yield from the treasuries back to the holders of the reserves? Or does the Fed separately hold treasuries and then return the yield from the treasuries that they own uh, to, the, to the holders of the reserves in the Fed? I'm not sure. Uh, maybe I, 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 I got confused as, as you're saying. Can you repeat it uh, again? Sure. So the yield that the Fed is passing on to the depositors of the reserve comes from the treasuries that the Fed holds, correct? Correct. Now, is that yield from those treasuries, uh, are those treasuries purchased with the reserves or 
are the reserves held separately from the treasuries? Yeah, so those those are separate. Um, the way the, the when the Fed needs to buy, um, let's say, uh, treasuries or securities, they can just print and and buy. So they don't need to use reserves. Uh, you know, they don't need to use someone else's money to buy those securities. So the Fed is so so. Let's just all be on the same page. The Fed is minting uh, money uh, to buy, minting dollars to buy treasuries. They're holding treasuries and then passing on some of the yield from the treasuries to the depositors of the reserve in the in the Fed. But to some extent, they're separate operations. Correct. That's because they used to do that, and now they don't really do that anymore uh, to control the interest rate, but they still hold a lot of reserves. So they still hold reserves that they can use and it accumulate interest. Typically, this interest gets you know returned back to the to the to the government. So you know they don't like make interest on it, but they they can also they also use that yield nowadays to pay interest on you know reserves that are held by banks. So it's a more effective tool than buying um, treasuries on the open market or to control interest on the open market. Instead of buying you know bonds on the market, what they do is they just tell the banks, hey, deposit it with us, and we'll pay you interest. Well, it's not necessarily that it's more effective. It's that in an environment where interest rates are already zero, it's hard for the additional purchasing of treasuries to have an effect on interest rates without pushing things into negative interest rate territory, right? So it's not necessarily that the purchasing of the bonds is a is a weak tool. It's that it seems to have been exhausted and the payment to the to the depositors of the reserve is a new or additional complementary or supplementary uh, monetary policy tool to affect people's willingness to hold dollars and uh, assets that qualify as reserves, correct? Correct. Uh, there, are, there are a few reasons on why it, it, it is, it is uh, 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 let's say, a weaker tool um, for, other, for other reasons. But generally speaking, the way that they end up now um, just controlling the federal's fund rate is through interest on reserves. Yes. Okay. So I guess we we drifted a bit, uh, and you know, for for good reasons. But the core idea is that uh, one way for you to remove the money supply is to you know just pay interest uh, on those who will deposit uh, you know that that money that instead would be in circulation with you. So let's think, or one way maybe I'm thinking of how can Beanstalk, you know, do that. And again, I don't think it's necessarily a good idea, but maybe we can come up with a good I mean, idea. Maybe, maybe just to jump in for a second, feel like the 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 point here is that everybody really wants access to the Fed window, right? That if being your own bank in a world where the Fed is the issuer of the global currency would basically be having your own account at the Fed and getting access to whatever that yield on reserves that currently only select parties have access to. And in Beanstalk's case, everyone already has that ability because they can deposit assets into the silo. So not sure exactly where where you want to take this mod but almost feel like beanstalk already implements that 
Yes, you're right. And one way or one way they get around, you know, the idea that not everyone can deposit with with the Fed is the overnight repurchase repurchase agreements. So it's it's like a workaround around it. Uh, would they do the same thing? They'd be like, okay, we're gonna buy it overnight and then we'll sell it again tomorrow with interest. But but anyways, the 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 idea that we'll, we're taking from this is that the you know one way again for you to remove the money supply is just you know you pay interest. Um, uh, or instead of having them having it, you know, circulating, you tell that you tell them bring it, keep it with us, and and we'll pay interest. We move to Beanstalk, and maybe that that will uh, maybe make it more clear. So, what if we say that you know we have um, a new branch of the silo, or an additional, uh, or a separate silo, and that silo tells you that we will pay you a fixed interest rate um, at the end of the year. Um, um, and you know, maybe not at the end of the year. At the end of the year, with conditions. Mm -hmm. So it goes on something like this: deposit, uh, you know, in that new silo and lock it for one year, let's say, and you'll get I don't know, like ten percent or fifteen percent or any 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 arbitrary um, interest rate. Um, and and the way the way that the um, the silo then will be able to you know the question comes like again how how will you know Beanstalk be able to pay that uh, that rate or where will it get the money to pay that interest from? And, and here is here is what I'm thinking. What if the protocol, um, whenever the price is above one, uh, is able to buy back bonds at purchase price? I'm gonna say a lot of things here, which may may be confusing, but humor me or you know you know bear bear with me, uh, bear with me. So if the protocol is able to buy uh, pods at purchase price, um, so you know any user whenever they bought uh, pods at a certain interest rate, they're able to buy back um, or sell their pods. Um, at you know at, at, at the amount that they bought it and only when one p is above one what happens then is that the protocol holds those bonds they don't burn them or do anything with them they they keep it with them and when you know when when those pods harvest when when time for harvest comes um, then the protocol now has beans uh, that they can use these beans and only then pay um, you know that fixed interest or the interest that is said you know after one year we're gonna pay you that much does does that make sense so far so the same way the Fed holds securities and those securities pay interest, Beanstalk will have pods. And when those pods mature, it will have you know, beans that it's able then to use to pay interest. I'm not sure, by the way, if you're, if you're maybe talking, Publius, but you're muted. Oh, sorry, Maud. I was muted. Now I don't remember what I was saying. Um, the, I, I, I think I'm with you. Uh, and understand what you were saying, but economically don't think that it it really makes sense. And the 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 reason for that is, to some extent, what what the Fed has going on is very complicated and abstract, and may be deliberately so uh, or not, but it certainly prevents. Uh, it's an abstraction around what's actually going on. So in, to me, it makes more sense to bifurcate the two things that you're talking about. One is whether in certain instances it may make sense for Beanstalk to buy back pods on the market. And there's a lot of different ways to think about that. Uh, one thing that may make sense is anytime pods are sold on the pod market are listed for less than the current temperature, Beanstalk should be willing to buy them uh, and burn them. Uh, but 
don't really like the idea of Beanstalk holding the the pods as as some sort of form of yield in the form of new beans. Beanstalk can just mint beans whenever it wants. So doesn't the, like the distribution of the bean mints can be done in a much more elegant way than being dependent on how many pods Beanstalk has been able to buy on the secondary, if that makes sense. So it's like it becomes an abstraction and it actually prevents Beanstalk from acting in the most optimal way. So to me, it makes much more sense to keep the the treatment of pods, even if Beanstalk is starting to act on the secondary market, totally separate from the payment of yield to the silo, at least in my opinion. No, I think I think I, I do agree. Um, I, besides the complexity um, as well, I'm just not sure if, you know, this new facility will be attractive anyways. Um, but, you know, even even if it is, there is there is a lot of a lot of complexity um, in it, um, as as you said. Okay, um, that's that's all from my end, uh, and I think we're at the end of the town hall. Um, actually, we are not. Okay, we have a few questions here. So, guy asks, and they're going back to the idea of you know the forking, or if the if we face a situation where. DAO members, you know, disagree, let's say, and they want to fork. So a guy asks, how could that work even in theory, given that beans derive their value from the assets that Beanstalk can't mint? I don't really know what that means. Yeah, I think th what they're saying is, you know, let's say right now we have bean three curve, and then we fork. Who gets the three curve? Because you can't fork a three curve. So there's really... A couple different parties in the system. There's pod holders, depositors, and fertilizer holders or sprout holders. And what you what you'd expect is for for a bib to be specified whether it is a fork, like a hard fork or not. In which case, if there's no hard fork, it probably is okay to still have the four votes only. But if it is going to be a hard fork. Then you probably need a second or a third class of votes introduced, where it's a no vote is neutral, a four vote is a vote for, and a no vote is a vote to to keep the current system. And think that in the case of a hard fork, everyone would have to vote, or if not vote, uh, select, opt into a system, and in practice that is voting, uh, whereby all of the deposits associated with the stock and in the world where stock is liquid, not clear exactly how that works, um, would have to choose a version. Similarly, the sprouts would have to choose a version and the pods would have to choose a version. In the case where you don't vote, that is, is really the most interesting question, whether your value gets split, whether you retain value on both chains, uh, very unclear because then there's an incentive not to vote at all. Uh, yeah, very, very, very interesting question. And some value you can't keep on both versions, obviously. Do you know or are you aware of uh, a protocol or something similar that happened and they continued in different paths? I guess there are a few examples, uh, but can you think of one that is similar maybe um, to, to our situation or one that to look for inspiration when it comes to something like that? That hey, they did it the good way or the right way and others maybe they did not? Well, 
I feel like the Eve Dow hack was really probably the best example that comes to mind. Uh, maybe Bitcoin Cash uh, with the Bitcoin Block Wars. But both of those are L1s. And so the question kind of becomes around how to create the most decentralized forking mechanism within the EVM. And as we've seen with with the the latest ETH fork or the hard fork to go to proof of stake, uh, the the centralized issuers of value on chain ended up really being the deciding factor on where value was retained and feel like a good decentralized governance mechanism with, with forking within the EVM should facilitate people to choose or accounts to choose uh, in a much more decentralized fashion than at the top down a version being selected. So uh, there's a lot of opportunity here to make radical improvements to current governance, but there's also a lot of inspiration to be taken from uh, how current L1s work. Okay. Tyler V asks, and, and Safi and Guy, let me know if, if this answered uh, your questions. If it wasn't, uh, we can expand more uh, on the forking uh, question. Tyler V asks, Bean has been off peg for a while. Is that a concern? Nobody seems to be buying soil right now. Is that a problem for the protocol? And if that's the case, then do you, do you think there are things that we can do to improve the state of beans? So these are hard questions to answer. On the one hand, concern is really a, an opinion. Uh, Beanstalk has autonomous ways to respond to its conditions. Uh, concern, angst, any sort of emotion uh, is not part of the Beanstalk equation. Uh, if you're asking what we think, uh, Beanstalk has experienced much more significant deviations from PEG uh, in terms of magnitude. Uh, and time, at least so far, uh, in Beanstalk's history. And therefore, it, this doesn't seem particularly out of the ordinary. Uh, obviously, there's no way to know. Uh, but with that said, there's also not too many beans that actually exist such that there is some floor price to, the, to beans right now. And frankly, the, you know, it's hard to speak more substantively about that because don't want to say everything's great when things are off peg and even when things are on peg don't feel it's appropriate to say things are great it's there are lots of concerns and lots of things that can be improved and the the short-term deviations are are evidence of what may be working and not working but beyond that try not to get too focused on the short term uh with regards to the question around, is it a problem that no one's buying soil? In practice, yes, it is a problem. And Beanstalk isn't responding to that problem by raising the temperature. Uh, we would argue that, and in response to your, to, your, to your third question, if that is the case, what do you think we should do to improve the state of Beanstalk? Feel like the, the wells uh, is something that a lot of people are waiting for. Uh, but that won't necessarily contribute to peg maintenance. Feel like silo v3 with a, a gauge system, even if it's a rough gauge system, that's probably the next big thing that will have a dramatic effect on peg maintenance. Uh, it, 
and, and, and further improve the economics of Beanstalk. So that's probably Q1, Q2. And in the meantime, don't really anticipate a, a dramatic improvement uh, or, or decrease in, in, in performance from, from the protocol. But at this point, hard to do much other than just keep building. And there's a lot to build. I also think it's interesting that there is a lot of, if you want to call it gunpowder, to get back to PEG. But this, it seems to be that this is now by choice. Um, silo depositors or you know bean holders, they choose or you know they're happy maybe with, maybe not happy but content. Let's say with with the current uh, PEG or, or price. Yeah, it's interesting. Okay, we um, are at the end of the town hall uh, chat. Um, let's give you, let's maybe give it a minute and see if we have more questions. Okay, thank you all for joining us today. And as a reminder, BIP30 um, is currently live for voting. So if you if you didn't, um, please uh, participate or vote. Uh, Publius, thank you for your time, and we'll see you all next week.